Hello and welcome to Unpacking the Case. This episode is a Building Blocks episode and we'll be looking at Tulk and Moxhay. Okay, so we're starting the uh, new series of podcasts looking at the seminal cases in real estate law. And the first one we're going to look at is Tulk and Moxhay, which is a case from 1848 uh, in what was the Chancery Court at the time. Do you want to start with giving us the background on this one, Richard? Moxhay is one of those that... um... I suppose anybody who's done a degree level uh, you know, law, or la- uh, particular land law, should have come across. But for the fact it's about restrictive covenants and covenants generally, which tends to be the last major chapter in the textbooks by which time most students think they've gone enough to blag it through the examination and don't bother. But it's a well-known case and it's the foundation case for the whole of restrictive covenants. Um, would you like a bit of the history of the land involved, Lizzie? Yeah, I think so. Okay, uh, it's all about Leicester Square in London, uh, and uh, I'll give you some of the, you know, the sort of background history to set the scene. It was originally uh, the second Earl of Leicester, Sir Robert uh, Sidney, who uh, acquired the land uh, in 1630 and built a premises there, Leicester House, but kept at the front Leicester Fields, which subsequently became Leicester Square. The house was knocked down in the uh, middle of the 18th century and the Tulk family um, bought land and built buildings around about and uh, bought Leicester Fields. And they um, laid it out as uh, pleasure gardens. Uh, in 1808, uh, the current uh, person, the, the current uh, Sir Charles Augustus Tulk, uh, transferred the land to somebody named Mr Elms. But on the transfer, they agreed that uh, Mr. Elms and their heirs and assigns, their successors basically, wouldn't uh, build on uh, the land, you know, the land that became Leicester Square. And they would maintain it and uh, as a pleasure gardens and plant and keep and maintain shrubs. It passed through a series of uh, sales over the next years until in 1848, uh, Edward Moxley, uh, Moxie, that again. Edward Moxie um, bought the land and intended to build on it. And uh, that was basically what the case was about. Uh, the Tulk family objected to this. Moxie argued that, uh, again, something that the uh, lawyers will have done you know, at degree level, that uh, it's, uh, there's no privity of contract. I don't have a contract with, with Tulk because there have been a series of successes in purchasing the land in the meantime. And it went to the, the Court of Chancery, the Lord Chancellor. Uh, again, things have moved on a little bit at the moment, but Lord Chancellor was historically always the, the keeper of the king's conscience. They were able to do things which the common law didn't do. By this time, they were you know, well notorious for their slowness, uh, hence you know, featuring on numerous occasions in Dickens, most notably Bleak House. But the Lord Chancellor, uh, Lord Cottenham, um, heard the case and decided that uh, these covenants, so-called, were not just purely contractual. You could get an equitable remedy, an injunction, uh, stopping the breach, because they argued it would be ridiculous if I agree a contract with you that you can't build, and a week later, a month or a year later, you sell to somebody else who can build, and that would be unconscionable. And uh, for that reason, they got the injunction. And uh, there's still there's a ticket kiosk or two there, but Leicester Square is to this day unbuilt upon because of that case. Uh, that's the first bit of it. What do you think of that? So essentially what they're saying is that the 
the covenant runs with the land, not with the proprietor yeah, of the they, land. They basically said uh, Moxey had knowledge of, uh, of the, um, the actual covenants not to build. Uh, either actual, they actually knew about it in this particular occasion, or constructive knowledge because it was in the deeds and they should have looked at the deeds uh, before they bought. And that was basically enshrined into the legislation that uh, they are equitable property rights or covenants, restrictive covenants, but they can uh, bind a bona fide purchase of a value of a legal estate without notice will take free, otherwise they're binding. Uh, and uh, it's highly significant for that reason. A good 70% of freehold titles have uh, restrictive covenants on them. So what's happened subsequently? Well, Tolkien Moxey, contrary to popular belief, didn't settle completely the law of restrictive covenants back in 1848. There's a lot of things that happened subsequently. Most notably, a case that wasn't reported until 1885, uh, but it was... Uh, heard in 1881 called Austin and Oldham Corporation, one of the most disastrous cases in the whole of property law. Um, in that particular case, it was a covenant uh, to maintain the roads of this particular area, you know, sort of pre the days of adopted roads and the likes. And uh, the court limited um, Tolkien Moxey to restrictive covenants. Positive covenants wouldn't be recognized as property rights and therefore automatically binding third parties. Uh, and maintenance, such as maintenance of the roads, is a positive covenant. It wouldn't be recognised in freehold land, at least. And that's, uh, to this day, causing disasters galore, which you as will perhaps see shortly in another case. You have to have some way of enforcing positive covenants in freehold land. Another important case was in 1914, London County Council and Allen, which uh, limited uh, the restrictive covenants binding third parties to situations where the person wishing to enforce has a piece of land that is truly made more valuable. A bit like the easements to some extent, you can't have a restrictive covenant in gross, you've got to have a piece of land that is truly made more value as a consequence, which usually means a piece of land nearby. Um, and also obviously the other thing that's happened subsequently is, well, Pre-1926 covenants uh, created before January the 1st, 1926, when all the 25 property legislation came into force, still depend on that doctrine of notice. You, know, you should be checking the deeds. Are they in the deeds? Do you have actual knowledge? Do your agents, your solicitors have uh, imputed knowledge? But uh, if titles unregistered for post or from 1926 onwards, they should be registered as D2 land charges to bind the purchaser. Uh, for money or money's worth of a legal estate and in registered land, they have got to feature on the register as a notice to bind third parties. But uh, it's all started back in 1848 with Tolkien Moxey. Should we summarise in one sentence then what Tolkien Moxey means now? Just well, it means it was, one it, summarising it, sentence. Yeah, if you could summarise it in one sentence, it was the starting point of the development of restrictive covenants. It wasn't the termination point, but the starting point. Thank you to Richard and thank you to everybody else for listening in. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in our next episode.